Escape from Alcatraz, good movie, kind of interesting how that all works, but it's kind of a cool purpose, or the, the idea and the whole thing is that there's these criminals that are in prison, right? That's who's in prison, right? Criminals. And these guys get out. And, and that's just like, you know, us. That's kind of like us. We're, we're criminals. We, we, deserve, we deserve to be punished, and God says, you're free. And that's the idea of escape. And Escape from Alcatraz is a movie about these guys who break out of Alcatraz and never to be heard of again or seen again. Uh, very little evidence of their existence after their escape, uh, crossing the San, Francis San Francisco Bay uh, and running off into freedom. Um, crazy clip. But the scriptures, the holy scriptures, are filled, are filled with, with all kinds of... Um, themes and truth for, for us. The, the Holy Scriptures are like, they're, they're God's love letter to us, you know? It's God's thoughts and God's ideas and God's plans and God's, God's direction for us as people. The Bible, the Word of God is, is like our letters from home because, because they came from home, from where we originated from, which is God. This place is not our home, but our home is in heaven. And so these love letters have come from like home to us here on this planet as we're, as we're trapped in this world. And the Bible is a love letter from God to mankind, to all of us, to everybody. You know, when we read the scriptures, when we open the word of God and we dig into what God has to say to us, we're reading we're reading God's heart, and we're reading God's mind, and we're reading what God has for us as people, like specifically for you and for me. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, if you ever got a love letter from somebody, you, you, you're like, this is for you. Like, this is personal, right? You don't read somebody else's love letter, right? That would be kind of weird. But if you get a love letter that is geared for you, that's like, that's like it makes not only you feel important and special, but it, it connects you to somebody else in the world that has a love for you. And that does something to us, right? And when we read the scriptures, when we read God's love letter to us, we, we realize that God has us in mind when he wrote these letters. He knows what we deal with. He knows what we go through. And so he, in, he gave us these instructions and these words to help us in this life. It's an amazing thing, and it's full of great and amazing themes, things like love and kindness, right? You read the Word of God, and you see like themes of God's creation and, and, and redemption and His grace and His Son and, and who Jesus is and, and what the prophets said about this Son of God, and we see the idea of sacrifice, and we see the idea of offerings and, and what the Christian life should look like. And we see all these things in who Jesus is. We see in the scriptures as we read the word of God, we see how God is a God of protection and a God of conquest and a God of forgiveness and grace. And, and he comforts us and he's a God of creativity. And so when, when you read the word of God, when you spend time in God's word, we realize that this is a love letter to you and me for every situation in life. Tim Hawkins said it like this, the word of God to the Christian is God's letter to us to help us to know how to live like a Twinkie in a ding-dong world. That's what Tim Hawkins would say. But there's this theme, right, of escape, 
the idea of escape. And we just saw a clip. And to escape, you think about the idea of escaping. It means to like be free from something, right? To get away, to escape, to break away from something or to avoid or to like elude a difficulty or a, pe- a penalty or a punishment. It means to slip away. It's the means to be free from maybe the threat of evil or to get out or be freed from a penalty. There's a Chinese proverb that says, if you are patient in one moment of anger, you will escape a hundred days of sorrow. Isn't that true? That's what it means to escape, to avoid something. Abraham Lincoln said, you cannot escape the responsibility of tomorrow by evading it today. Isn't that good? That's true, right? We can't escape some things, but God loves us so much that he wants us to escape the greatest punishment ever, right? The wrath of of himself. One of the greatest threads in scripture is this idea of escape, the great escape. If you think about all through scriptures, the great escape is you think about different things that have happened in history, and you think about Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve, God puts them in the garden, he creates them, he puts them in the garden, tells them they could eat of any fruit, right? Anything in the, any tree, any tree, except for what? One tree. One tree in the garden, good in, of, of the knowledge of good and evil, do not eat from that tree, you can eat from everything else. And just like every other human being on the planet, what do they do? They go and eat from that tree, right? And so they're banned from the garden, right? Adam and Eve are banned from the garden. And God separates them from this eternal garden that he put them in to last forever and to live forever. But he doesn't destroy them. He preserves them. They escape like total annihilation. And they move on and and life unfolds and mankind unfolds because God allows them to continue to live to exist. He doesn't wipe them out. In the story of Noah and his family, you think about what was going on on the earth and all the evil that was going on on the earth, and God decides that the people are rebellious. He says, I'm going to start over, and eight people in all are saved on the ark, and everything else is washed away. And so again, God preserves mankind. We escape as as a human race. We escape being totally annihilated. And God continues to work through those people and he rebuilds in them. And you think about Moses and you think about Israel who continue to rebel against God and they continue to find themselves in bondage or as slaves in another land. And, And in all that we see, in spite of their rebelliousness, we see that God continues to save this remnant of people so that he can continue to work through till the day that his son would come and provide salvation for all, right? And so God is constantly providing a way for mankind on a whole to escape. And we see this also in our own lives, right? In our own lives, we see God, he's always working, right? He's working on behalf of all of mankind, but specifically for those who love him, Right, who have accepted Jesus as Lord, God is always at work leading and directing and comforting. And he's always like making a way for us to get through or to, to know what to do next. God is the God who is always there helping us in a way escape from the traps of the world and to continue to move forward with our eyes on him. The pages of scripture are full of examples of how God is always working and right there with us. 
Think about this passage. In uh, Exodus 14, Moses says to the people, he answers the people as they're afraid, they're about to be destroyed by Pharaoh's army. He says, do not be afraid, stand firm. You will see the deliverance of the Lord. He will bring today the Egyptians that you see today. You'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And so we see even back in Exodus, in the time of Moses and the Israelites, God is right there with his people, helping them escape from destruction. Destruction of Pharaoh and his armies, or the sea. Isaiah 41, Isaiah says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be uh, dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. And so again, we see God saying to us as humans, as people, I'm here for you, like I'm with you. No matter what you go through, I'm right here with you. I will lead you. I will fight for you. I will will uphold you. We have a God who who loves us and is walking with us. Zephaniah 3.17, Zephaniah said this, a prophet in the Old Testament, he said, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. And so Zephaniah the prophet said, hey, God is with us. Even though we're not perfect, even though we don't do everything absolutely correct, God says, I'm with you. If you will follow me, if you will walk in my ways, I will be with you to the very end. And so what a, what a comfort it is to know this morning that, that God is with us. And in this idea of escaping the traps of the world, God is walking with us. Or he's available to walk with us every day if we'll let him. He's always working. Not only, uh, not only in, in history do we see God working, but we see God working always ahead as well. Like, isn't it, isn't it awesome to know that the God that you serve and worship is a God who, is, who sees ahead of where, where you're going? He sees the path before you get there. And he's always working ahead to make the way ready for you, right? To make the path clear for you, to prepare it for you so that as you enter into it, he's with you in it. In 1 Corinthians, the scripture talks about temptation and sin and and how God, uh, God is in our battle against sin and against pressure and against the temptations of the world. In 1 Corinthians 10, he says, no temptation has overtaken you, but what is common to man? And God... God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, right? But with the temptation, but when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God already knows where you're going. He already knows what you're going to go into. And he's already there working on your behalf for you. Isn't it good to know that God is working ahead for you? That God is walking with us. That that no matter what comes our way, God is not unable to help us escape. We can make the escape. In Romans 8, 37, the scripture says, Paul writes, he says, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us, right? So in Christ, we will conquer anything that might come our way. Remember Job? Job was a man who understood what it was to be uh, put to the test. He understood what the testing of your faith looked like, didn't he? Job lost everything. Everything was taken away from Job. And he was left as as down as anyone could ever be, Job was. And yet he kept his eyes on God. He understood, he understood that God was always with him, right? He understood that God was always making a way and that no matter what happened to him in life, God was working in it. 
And in Job chapter 19, verse 20, Job says this, I am nothing but skin and bones. And then he says, I have escaped only by the skin of my teeth. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? You've heard people use that expression, by the skin of my teeth. There it is. That's where it came from, right? By the skin of my teeth. If your teeth have any skin on it at all, it isn't much, right? It's not much. In fact, if you do a study on your, your mouth before your teeth pop through, they actually have skin on them, but it's very thin skin. The enamel that we have on, in our mouth is also considered in, by some a form of skin, but it's a very thin skin. Like when you escape by that little amount, that's a miracle, right? Yeah, it's insane. But you still escaped. Might not be by a lot, but you still got through, right? And that's good news, right? Have you, ever, have you ever taken something for granted? Like something or someone for granted and then, then you lost them or you lost whatever it was? Been there? Done that? Right? And you begin to understand what it's like to have something that you don't have anymore. Maybe grandparents. Maybe your parents. You know, or your family. You grow up with family. And then, then everyone gets older and they move away. Like when you have kids and you think this is, you're going to be in this state of raising children all your, you know, for eternity. It's like, but it, do, it doesn't last for eternity. They, they grow, right, and they're gone. They go to college, they move out, and they go do their thing. Yeah. Sometimes they stay home. But they move on, right? And so, so and, we, and we look back and we realize maybe we took things for granted, Right? We took some things for granted in thinking that they would always be here. Our parents will always be here, our grandparents, our children. Right, And then we realize that's not true. They aren't always going to be here. So taking things for granted isn't always a good thing. And there's a danger. There's a danger in the gospel when we take God for granted. There's a huge danger that we all need to be very careful of. Okay, and I'm going to share that with you right now, this danger that we just need to be aware of, right? The glory of God is that he created us, right? And he loves us, Amen. right? He loves us and he disciplines us, but he has never utterly, totally destroyed us. He's always preserved us. And sometimes it may seem like God is coming down on you or things aren't going the way you wish they would, but God is working in that and he's got a purpose for it. He's like a good gardener, right? Just pruning away the things that don't need to be there and just clipping those, those dead branches away or those bad thoughts away or those bad habits away. And he's working on you and it is painful and it hurts, but he's a good gardener. And he knows what he's doing. He's also like a good surgeon, right? Who cuts away the bad cells that don't need to be in your body. They don't need to be in you. And, and, and so it's a painful process, but he loves us in that way. And he provides and he protects. But here's the danger. He will not like put up with our double-mindedness. He won't put up with wishy-washiness. Like that's the danger of the, the whole thing. And the warning is clear and the warning is firm in Scripture. And we all should heed the warning. And I wouldn't be a very good preacher if I didn't sound the alarm, right? I mean, what kind of lifeguard sits on a beach and sees like, like a tsunami come in and doesn't warn the people to get off the beach, right? What kind of, what kind of lifeguard would that be? Not a very good one, right? What kind of, uh, what kind of 
uh, any, any, any position that is in the position of warning people of, of coming danger and doesn't do it, what kind of person is that? And what, what kind of people are we if we understand that there's a coming danger and we don't warn the people, right? right that's going to be on us. And so there's this danger, this danger. There's, this, uh, there's lots of weird ways that people uh, show danger. Here's a sign for you, this danger sign. Check this sign out. It says, danger, do not touch. Not only will this kill you, but it will hurt the whole time you are dying. Right? That's a... There's the warning, right? Don't grab that wire, whatever you do. There's a danger in the scripture as well. Right? There's a danger. And so what's the danger? What's the warning? If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to 2 Peter chapter 2. Peter spoke about the danger. <clears throat> And I want to share this with you because I want us all to be aware of of what we should be watching out for. As we live this life, we understand that God loves us and he wants us to escape. There's also a danger in the world around us. In in 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter is writing and he, he he talks about the fact that there's false prophets among the people and that there's false teachers among the people in verse 1. And he says, they will secretly, like, in a deceptive manner, introduce destructive heresies, right? Even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Verse 2, 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, he says, many will follow their depraved conduct and will, and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. Verse 4 says, For if God, and here's part of the danger, think about in relationship to everything that God has created and who God is and his power and his might as creator of all things, the universe. He says in verse 4, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell. The angels, those who rebelled against God, like Lucifer and, and all those who followed his way that rebelled against God. If God didn't spare the angels, he put them into chains and darkness, held for judgment. Verse 5, if he did not spare the ancient world when, the, when he brought the flood on its uh, ungodly people. In verse 6, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, Right? by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. In verse 9, he says, if this, so, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the, un, or the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. And so what Peter's saying to us, God knows and God is able to save those who are righteous and who place their faith and hope in him, but he will not pull away from destroying those who don't. And this is a huge like warning for all of us, and the world doesn't understand what's coming. It's like this giant tsunami is coming, and it's going to destroy everything in its path, and we as, as Christians have an obligation to save the world. Prepare for this. Watch out for this danger that's coming our way. Peter goes on to say a little more about this. He, verse 19, he says, they promise these false prophets and teachers, they promise them freedom 
<clears throat> while they themselves are slaves to depravity, for people, write this down, circle this verse, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. That's a great saying, isn't it? People are slaves to whatever has mastered them. And that's true. Whatever in your life is you're dealing with, you struggle with, you give into whatever it is that, that is working its way into your life, it's mastered you. And you're a slave to that. That's a danger. That's, that's a warning for all of us that live on this earth as human beings to be careful what we do and, and why we do it and what we have been mastered by. Verse 20 says, if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then again are entangled in it and are overcome, <clears throat> they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. And that's the warning right there. Right? That's the warning that Peter has for us, that to once know the Lord, to once have tasted of his goodness and his glory, and to have followed him, and then to be caught up or entangled in the world again as humans, like because we want the best of both worlds, right? Like we talked about last week, to once have known Jesus and then to become entangled back into the world, that is a warning. That's the danger of living on this earth what the devil and what the evil one is up to. God's escape plan for you and me cost him his one and only son. And he does not take that lightly. Right? He doesn't take his gift of salvation through the blood and body of his son Jesus. He doesn't take that lightly. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, in the Old Testament, the scripture says in the Old Testament, when people rejected the law given through Moses, they died. He says, how much more severely do you think one deserves to be punished who has trampled on the Son of God and profaned the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and insulted the Spirit of grace? That's a stern and strong warning, isn't it? For all of us. <clears throat> if we warned you about a coming tornado or a coming hurricane, you'd thank us. right? You'd thank the people who do that. In fact, thousands, every year, thousands and thousands of people's lives are saved because we have figured out a way to predict what's going to happen and we can get people out of the way of its path, right? They sound the horns, right? We have a figured out a way to pull, pull that off and we do that all across the world. We do that. All the more, all the more we understand that God's word says there is a coming judgment, there is a coming day and that we should be prepared for that day the best that we can possibly be prepared for that moment when Jesus returns and, and we stand before him. It's for this reason in, in regards to communion that we just took communion. Paul said, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of Jesus. See, danger, danger is that we as humans, we take God for granted. Right? He's been so good to us. He's always there. He's always, you know, over, overall watching over us. He, the sun comes out in the morning, right? Goes down at night and we sleep and we wake up and our food is there and all this good stuff happens. And we take God for granted. We forget that one day it's all going to be over. The end will come. And then we, we need to be ready for that moment. The great escape is not just our only way, but it is the final way. That's not just the only way, but the final way. In, in, on the day of Pentecost, 
On the day of Pentecost, uh, Peter, Peter's preaching, right? So, so the Holy Spirit is poured out on God's people, just like, just like God, Jesus told the apostles to gather in, in one place and that the Spirit of God would fall on them and they would, they would proclaim the good news that Jesus loves us, that he's coming again one day, that salvation is available to all. And so it's the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit falls on the apostles, and Peter preaches this first sermon. In Acts chapter 2, um, in Acts chapter two, Peter begins to speak. He stands before the people. Everyone's gathered there because it's this big feast. And Peter stands up to speak, and he addresses the, the crowd. And he has this amazing sermon in Acts 2 where he talks to all the Jews and he tells them exactly what is going on. That, that Jesus, who they crucified, who is now alive, has poured out on them this Holy Spirit and that they are messengers of this truth. That this act of God is God's way of, of, of launching this new covenant in his blood and this new church and this new work of God on the planet for all men. And you read through that passage, he talks, uh, he quotes from the, the book of Joel. And then we come down to verse uh, 21, he says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so Peter's like warning the people, just warning the people that the day has come. The day of, of God's work has come and the Holy Spirit has come, but there's another day going to come. And he's saying to them, the only way you're going to escape from that day is by grabbing onto the keys of who Jesus is. By holding on to Jesus, he's the key. He's the key to escape the coming judgment and, and pain. And in verse 22, he says, people of Israel, people of Israel, to all the Jews, listen to this. And he says, Jesus of Nazareth was a man, look what he says, accredited, accredited, that means certified or approved by God, to you through what? Through miracles and wonders and signs. Check this out. Peter's saying to them, look, you guys, I'm not going to tell you anything that you don't already know. This Jesus that came to earth, you all know he came, and he did miracles, he did signs, God sent him, it was, it was written all over him and all through him, and everything that Jesus did was, was the, the hand of God working in him and on him, and God did, and he said, you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as, and then he says, as you yourselves know. Why can he say that? Because they were there, right? They saw. They saw the miracles. They saw him do unbelievable things. He's, they saw him heal people. They watched him. Crowds followed him. You know, lots of people, lots of people. It's hard to imagine that kind of a crowd, isn't it? You know, it really is in our day. You just don't see crowds like that unless you go to a big event and there's a lot of people like going into uh, the Hurricanes game or, you know, a concert or something like that. Or, or if you're watching golf and you see Tiger Woods playing, Unbelievable crowds following the guy, right? Just unbelievable. But that, that's, that's what it was like. All these people following Jesus, and they watched what he did. They heard what he said. They saw him perform all these great miracles. And Peter now is saying, look, this is after Jesus has died. They crucified him. He rose again. The Holy Spirit's now poured out on them. And Peter's saying, look, Jesus did all these things, and you guys know he did. You can't really deny what you saw. You can't, you're, you'd be lying if you did. 37 miracles that we have recorded in the Gospels. Okay, 37 
miracles are recorded in the Gospels. And John said if, if, if all of the things that Jesus did were written down, all the books in the world wouldn't contain them. Jesus did all kinds of miracles and signs and wonders. And he says, you yourselves know. And these people, thousands of them, standing in Jerusalem, as Peter stands up with the, filled with the Holy Spirit as he speaks the truth of who Jesus is. And then he says, this man, this Jesus was handed over to you, right? You didn't, you didn't come and take him. He was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. God was working ahead in Jesus's life and God knew exactly what was going to happen. And the enemy played right into his hands. And you, he says, with the help of wicked men, put Jesus to death by nailing him to a cross. And all they could do, all they could do is go, you are right. I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, we did that. We did exactly what you're saying. Like, it was like a plan that God had laid out, and they just, they did exactly what God knew they would do. And now Peter's standing up and saying, hey, let me refresh your memories. Here's what just happened over the last few years. This, this man, Jesus, who came and has done all these wonderful things, and for a long time you followed him, and you brought people to him and said, heal my friend, or heal my neighbor, or heal my mother, or heal my grandmother, and, they, and you watched Jesus do all these things, but then later you were the ones that were yelling, crucify him when they did. And now he says, you, you all, with the help of wicked men, those leaders, you put him to death. You yelled, crucify him, release to us Barabbas. You're the ones, same people, same group. He says, God, God's plan brought this all about. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But then comes verse 24. And it says, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him. See that word freeing? It means to be released or to be loosened from. Look at that. God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it is impossible for death to keep its hold on him, right? Freeing him, releasing him from death. Once, Once death held him for three days, but death no longer held him after that. Right, Just as the prophet said, Jesus rose from the dead and he conquered death and he conquered the grave. And it is impossible for Jesus to be held in the clutches of death and the grave. It's impossible. It cannot hold him down. He is God. He is God over death. The Greeks understood this like this. The Greeks understood the resurrection from the dead as if, as if there was this resurrection of a new birth right? From the womb of the grave. Just like Jesus rose from the grave, this is like the beginning of a new birth for all of mankind, that anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus will also escape death, right? Will rise from the dead. That's unbelievable. We can't do that. I can't do that. You can't do that on your own. Verse 27 says, you will not abandon me to the grave. And David said in verse 31 of of Acts 2, he said, David said this. Remember David, seeing what was to come, he spoke, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. Everyone else's body sees decay. But not his, not his, because he has risen from the dead. 
See, that's the good news, right? That's the good news of the gospel, that he's alive, that Jesus made the great escape. How awesome is that? That's amazing, right? Because without that, we're doomed. We're stuck in our sin forever and ever and ever. What once was our final destination, that is death and eternal condemnation, is no longer your only option. Right? It's not our only option anymore. But you got to choose. We must choose Jesus. We must make a decision as to who he is and who he is to us in our lives. The final blow to all mankind is death. Satan's unescapable prison, death in the grave, has been broken. That's the good news, right? That's the good news of the gospel. That the grave has been destroyed, that death has been destroyed only in Jesus. The impossible now is attainable because nothing is impossible for God. In 1 Corinthians 15, the scripture says this, Paul writes this beautiful statement and he says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Look at that. It's right there, right? Death has been swallowed up. It's like death can't even touch him. Most people fear death, right? We all fear that one day we're going to die and, and it's going to be over and we, we don't realize what's on the other side of that. Jesus understands completely what's on the other side of that. God is working on our behalf on the other side of that. We have nothing to fear in death. Jesus has broken death's door and nothing is impossible for him. Victory over death is available. Jesus paid, paved the way from death to life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 says this. It says this. This is our warning again. How shall we, how shall we as people, human beings, how shall we escape? How will we ever escape the coming judgment if we ignore or neglect or disregard such a great salvation. How shall we escape? We will not escape. We will not escape what's coming. We can only face it in, in faith in Christ, right? Our eternal soul. Do you know what the, the biblical view of death is? Do you know what the biblical view of death is? Check it out. Here's the biblical view of death. There it is. It's an empty grave. It's an empty grave. See, death cannot hold you. Death cannot hold anyone who is connected to Christ, right? Who is in Jesus. Death cannot hold you. We have victory over the tomb. We have victory over death. The great escape is available to anyone. You know what today is? Today is April 21st. You know what that means? That means today is the day of salvation. Today could be the day of your salvation. Right? The day of all of our salvations. Today is the day that we say to God one more time, God, we need you in our life. Right? We need you as Lord and Savior of our life. I need to be committed to you, Lord. So what do I do? What must we do? Well, we believe. We must believe. That's what we must do. Starts with just believing, just saying, God, I need you. I need you in my life. Peter preached that sermon in Acts 2, and he comes to the end of the passage, right? And the people say, oh, no, we crucified the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one we were waiting for. We nailed him to a cross, and we put him in a tomb, and he rose from the dead. What do we do now? We blew it. We messed up. And Peter says, here's what you do. You repent. You change. You turn. Make a turn. Stop living for self and start living your life for the one who made you. Repent, he says, and be baptized. Be immersed into Christ. We have a baptistry here because we realize how important it is that we are washed in the, in the, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. 
And that's what you do. That's what we do. That's what we must do. If we want to turn for what's coming and turn to the one who has power over the grave, we believe and we have faith and we repent and we're immersed into Christ. That's what we do. Peter said it like this, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the problem. Sin is in the way of you and God and a relationship with you. Your sins need to be washed and only the blood of Christ can do that. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right, this promise, he says in verse 39, is for you, it's for your children, it's for your grandchildren, it's for all those who are far off whom the, whom the Lord our God will call. That's beautiful, isn't it? I mean, what a great promise. Nobody, nobody will ever make that promise to you. Nobody could ever make that promise to you, only the Savior of the universe. So we believe and we give our lives to Christ, and the second thing we do is we remain in Him. We remain in Christ until He comes. Because we know that day is coming, and it's coming soon. It's coming soon. The resurrection, the resurrection is all about this great escape. This great escape. It's all about not just the life of Jesus, that Jesus came and he did all these amazing things while he was on the earth to to prove exactly who he was. To call attention to the fact that he is the Son of God. And his final act was to say, the, the, the worst thing that, that gets humans down is death. And Jesus says, I will put my statement on death and I will destroy it. And so he paved this path through the back of the tomb that we can walk through. But only Jesus, only the Savior of the universe could do that. And the way that you and I get to do that is by accepting him as Lord and Savior of our life and responding to him every day. We respond to him. Have you responded to him lately?